0: One day there'll be no more waiting left for our souls. One day there'll be no more children longing for home. One day when the kingdom comes right here where we stand, we will see the promised land. Mm. One day there'll be no more lives taken too soon. One day every tear that falls will be wiped by his hair We will see the promised land color of our skin won't cause a divide. One day we'll be families standing hand in hand and we will see the promised land. One day when our tired and weary bones find their rest. One day when the power of evil's brought to an end, we will see the promised land. We will see the promised land.
1: conditioning, once again, <laughs> and the guys that work on them, Bob, uh, <laughs> uh, we're going to be in page 1000 this morning in the church Bibles, page 1000, me Ezekiel, real quick, uh, we need to remember um, Santos Escobedo, Sandra's husband, a week from tomorrow, he's having a major ear surgery, so uh, keep him in your prayers, and that the doctors will... Uh, know exactly what to do, and also Miss Linda did not feel well this morning when she got up, so she's not here with us today, so we'll lift her up this week and pray that she feels better. Scripture today is out of Ezekiel, and uh, we were just watching something this week that brought up a scripture about giving God giving his people a heart of flesh and replacing the heart of stone, and I was curious, and I read through, I wanted to find it. And this scripture this morning comes from that, but it's not just so much about the heart as as it is. Everything around this scripture is amazing to me because it talks about who God is. And it's all about him. It's not about us. Everything, every bit of praying for healing we, we pray for every week, every prayer need we bring up, we have a desire for that to be better here. We love these people. We love each other. We want people to be healthy, but it's all about raising his name up. Everything we do is about raising his name up and glorifying his name. I think that's so clear in the scripture. We're going to read verses 22, uh, chapter 36 of Ezekiel, verses 22 through 28. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, I do not do this for your sake. O house of Israel, for my holy name's sake, which you have been profaned, among the nations wherever you went. And I will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. And the nations shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God, when I am hallowed in you before their eyes. For I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all the countries, and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness. And from all your idols, I will give you a new heart and will put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will keep my judgments and do them. Then you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. You shall be my people and I will be your God. Amen. Let's pray. Oh Lord God, uh, verses like this just remind us, Lord, that the more we know about you, the less we're impressed with ourselves. Uh, God, we just uh, pray that you will help us to always be people that would not profane your name in the way we live our everyday life, in the things we lift our time up to do, and the things we prioritize in our lives, Lord, they're idols that... Are all over our world today Lord help us not to be people that pick those up and put them above you and Lord I just thank you for this picture that you show no matter what we're doing and no matter where we're going and no matter what you're doing in our lives and in the lives around us it's all to glorify you in your holy name Lord help us to remember that I pray that your mighty spirit that you promise will guide us in these things and will bring them to mind Lord, when there's something that we have in the wrong place that could somehow profane your name, we bless you, we thank you for your uh, long-suffering for your people. Lord, this verse is written after Jerusalem has been burned and, the, and your people have been taken into captivity, but you make a promise to them, Lord, that they will, be, they will return to that land by your hand and that you will receive the glory. We bless you for this scripture this morning. Lord, we praise you for who you are and the humility that we gather from this scripture this morning. Help us, Lord, to be those people that would be your people and that you would absolutely be our only God. We thank you for this day that we can come together, that we can bless you, we can sing praises to your name. And, Lord, above all, we can be hungry for a word from you today. We bless you and pray that your presence would reign and rule among us today in your holy name and we do lift these prayer requests up lord as well uh, that you would be with santos as he goes to this ear surgery and once again we do we cry out for spiritual needs that's what we see that's where we live but also lord we must pray that you would uh, always give healing and work in a mighty way in the spiritual realm as well in this family in the escobedo family as you work through this physical healing lord there's never not a healing listed in the bible and not one that we see that's not to draw someone close to you. Uh, Lord, we bless you. We also pray for Miss Linda. Pray, God, that you would give her comfort right now and that she would feel better, not by us, but by your mighty hand, we pray. Amen.
2: fall but God is Lord above them all Two.
3: Well, good morning. I am so glad to be with y'all and to share this word this morning um, that is consistent with the songs that we have sung and the things that Bill has shared. And um, as always, the Lord's Spirit does what the Lord's Spirit is doing. So that is what we're here for this morning. If you would turn with me, we will be in the Gospel of John, chapter 14. If you're in the church's Bible, on page 1241, John chapter 14. So to begin, I'd like to recap a few of the things that Deborah has been Teaching us to give some context to the passage that we'll read. It is the Passover season in John's Gospel. Jesus has ridden into Jerusalem on a donkey, fulfilling prophecy and symbolizing that he comes to establish peace. Jesus taught the disciples that the Son of Man would soon be glorified, referring to his death. During the Passover meal, Jesus washed the disciples' feet, signifying their need to be cleansed from the world by the word of God. And Jesus instructs his disciples to love one another in this same way, cleansing one another with God's word. Then during the Passover meal, Jesus reveals that Judas would betray him, and he offers Judas another chance. He gives Judas a piece of unleavened bread. We know that Judas will refuse Jesus and Satan will enter him. Next, Jesus explains to the disciples that he will be with them only a little while longer. He explains that where he is going, they cannot follow. Peter interjects that he would lay down his life for Jesus and that he wants to go with him. Jesus prophesies that Peter will deny him three times before the next morning when the rooster crows. So this is the backdrop for the passage we'll read. And it's important that we read it in this context. Chapters 14 through 17 uh, are all in red letters. And Jesus shares many things with his disciples the night that they celebrated the passover meal together and our passage chapter 14 takes place around the passover table in the upper room so as we read i'm going to ask you to listen and think as a disciple around the table with jesus having experienced these things that we have just mentioned and knowing jesus in the context of the Old Testament. So read with me in chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. Jesus says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And there are many great words and even verses within this passage that are um, very popular among believers. However, I believe many of them are taken out of this context that we have just talked about. And as I've studied this week, I confess that I have completely missed out on the spiritual nature of this passage. First, I've never considered Jesus' words in the context of, of this Passover meal that they are celebrating, and I've never really looked at things from the disciples' perspective. Instead, I have selfishly and superficially imagined Jesus like an architect or a butler whose primary concern is preparing a mansion for me in eternity as if Jesus is designing the right floor plan and the right landscaping that will fit my needs and desires. But I'm grateful to share with you that the Lord has opened my eyes and my understanding to some powerful things here. If we were followers of Jesus in the first century, if we had read the Old Testament with first century Jewish ears, If we had dined with Jesus during the Passover, his words would have dripped with symbolism, provided assurance, and they would pull together the things that Jesus had been ministering to many about for three years and the things that Hebrews experienced in the Passover from Exodus and the prophecies that were given throughout the Old Testament. Jesus' message here pulls these things together. So let's unpack them together. In verse 1 Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe in me also. So in this context the disciples had some reason to be troubled. Jesus had just confronted Judas, one of their own, one of the 12 who had been ministering with them and said, Judas will betray me he told peter that peter this one who so fervently followed jesus and remained by his side at all times peter would deny him three times and that he jesus their lord their savior their teacher their rabbi would be leaving this earth soon so i'd say they have something to be troubled about This verse has two imperative verbs, or I should say two verbs that are both imperatives. This means that Jesus was giving them commands. When he tells them to not let their heart be troubled, he's really pleading and urging with them in all capital letters, do not let your hearts be troubled. We can hear the Spirit of God urging us in times that things are difficult and we are tempted by the enemy. And the Spirit says, do not get drug off. Don't be led into temptation by the enemy. Do not be troubled. Then Jesus says, in all caps, as a command, believe in God. Believe also in me. Now, our translation says, you believe in God, believe also in me. And and this verb is to them. It is to the you that are there, the disciples. But it's a commandment, so we shouldn't read it, you believe, because that almost sounds like he's asking us if we actually believe. But instead, he's commanding us to believe. Commanding us to believe in God the Father and commanding us to believe in Jesus himself just as we do the Father. Likewise, in this same way, they should trust him. So Jesus comforts these agonizing circumstances. We can't minimize what is taking place here. Jesus confronts these agonizing circumstances of the disciples not with a warm smile and saying peace be with you but instead he urges and commands them not to be worried about these things but to trust in God and to trust in him. Next Jesus says in my father's house are many mansions if it were not so I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you. Now, it's easy to misunderstand this verse because of our translations. It's not that the words themselves are incorrect, but our English language is not able to fully convey what is taking place in the language that Jesus is speaking, or Jesus is, uh, we are reading what Jesus is speaking to his disciples. What Jesus is saying to them would have been clearly apparent. See, every word in a language has alternate meanings. Every word isn't exactly just one thing. It can mean multiple things depending on context. Now, this word, excuse me, this verse includes the word, the words house, mansions, and place. These three words are similar in English, but they are very distinct in the Greek. And I believe that that these words are misunderstood because they're not seen for their distinct meaning from one another. First, Jesus says, In my Father's house. We love to imagine the Father's house, don't we? It's a great coffee mug thing to imagine, a place of security and comfort and separation from this world. Jesus says, In my Father's house. And this word, house, uh, can mean a house like a residence, but it can be better understood more broadly, like a family, as in a royal or wealthy family or household. Jesus isn't describing his father's house that's made with brick and stone or siding and a nice well-pitched roof. Jesus is, descri- is de- describing the spiritual dynasty that exists with the Most High God. Next, Jesus says that in his Father's house are many mansions. This word for mansions is the word monai, and it's used only two times in the entire New Testament. It was not a common word that was used among the disciples. It's hard to imagine Jesus and the disciples talking about mansions, isn't it? This word is only used twice, both in John chapter 14 by Jesus. And neither give any indication that this word should be translated as a mansion or a large house. This word means a dwelling place or a home. But imagining a mansion is an over-translation focused on the grandeurs of heaven that are simply not implied by this passage. And finally is the word place. Jesus says, I go to prepare a place. This word for place is topos, which is where we get topography or the study of maps and land. But better translated, this word means seat. Or opportunity. This word brings to the imagination a place setting and a royal house, which would certainly be a great opportunity. Now, equally important to these words, house, mansions, and place is Jesus' action. Jesus says, I go to prepare. This word means to make ready, to make arrangements, and to prepare, and it is used in very significant ways throughout the New Testament. But I believe most importantly, it is used in all of the Gospels in relation to Passover. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John use this word prepare related to Passover. Preparation is a part of Passover vocabulary. As we study each year, preparation day is the day leading up to the meal. And in Matthew 26 and Mark 14 and Luke 22, all three gospel writers describe how the disciples make ready and prepare the Passover meal in the upper room just as Jesus has directed them. So what I believe Jesus is explaining to the disciples here in John 14 in response to all their fears and uncertainty and doubt is a summary of what he has been telling them all along. They must trust him as they trust the Father because Jesus is the Messiah. In his Father's house, in his Father's dwelling place, His presence, His abode, there are many rooms for others to dwell. However, just as lambs were being brought into homes on preparation day to be inspected for blemishes, then slaughtered and sacrificed in order to be a protection and a covering for sin, Jesus is preparing the place. He is making ready the opportunity, the seat at the table. Because a mansion in heaven really doesn't console the disciples to solve their worldly problems, does it? Have you ever thought about that? We sing these great songs about uh, a, a room that's being provided for us. And we imagine all the grandness that will be there and all the opportunity that we will have in heaven. why would Jesus respond to his best friends on this earth with their great troubles about what, are going, what is going on to say, don't worry, I'm making a great place for you. It makes no sense. This is the false gospel, the propaganda that has been spread among God's people. It's why we have no assurance and no comfort in times of difficulty because we respond to spiritual conditions with physical answers. Instead, Jesus explains that what he is doing must be done. Otherwise, they don't have a seat at the table. If Jesus doesn't prepare a place for us, there isn't one. Let's read verses 3 and 4 together. Jesus says, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way, you know. So Jesus tells the disciples that he's going to prepare a place for them, that he will come again to receive them to himself. This word to receive means that he is going to draw those that are followers of him into himself. That at that time there will be nothing that will keep them from him. He says that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know this way. So there's a lot of great understandings here. The first thing is how Jesus is going. Now, you may have a different different translation than what I'm reading from in the New King James. But in the New King James, it says in verse 3, and if I go, and in verse 4, and where I go. So Jesus is going somewhere. Now, each of these words are different for go. In 3, he says he's going, and 4, he says he's going. These are completely different words in the Greek language. However, they are both sharing something similar. There's nearly a dozen words in the New Testament that can mean to come or to go. But these two mean to go unto death. They mean to depart unto death. These words mean something very different in Jesus' language than they do in ours. We read them and we think, oh, maybe Jesus is just going out for a stroll. That's not it at all. He is giving greater definition to what he has already been telling them. Jesus isn't just traveling or journeying, but this deeper meaning connected to death as a way of departing. Jesus is explaining to the disciples that in order for this place and this opportunity to be prepared, he must die. So in verse 3, Jesus says he goes to prepare a place for us. So we've established that this word place means a seat at the table. It means an opportunity. But also in verse 3, he says that Where I am, you may be also. So everybody see where in verse 3? Then in verse 4, he says that similarly again. He says, where I go, you know. So we've got place in verse 3, and now in 3 and 4, we have where. The reason it's important to see these is because in our English Bibles, this seems like the same place. Even as I say place, it, all these words kind of kind of compound to each other, but we've got the place that Jesus is preparing that is the opportunity. And now we have the where. Some Bibles even translate where as place, but they are completely different. See, this word where, while it can mean place, it is less a location and more a reality. See, it has to do with being alive with existing. This is important because Jesus says in verse 3 that where I am, there you may be also. When Jesus says, I am, he connects himself to God the Father. You remember that in Exodus, as Moses is talking to God, and God is telling Moses that he is to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. Moses says, God, who who shall I say is sending me? And we know that God gives him a name. He says the name Yahweh, and we make this uh, a proper noun, and in all caps. But really, this, this name comes from a verb that means to be. God is saying, I am who I am. I was before you were created. I will be for all eternity. So when Jesus here says, I am, he's not simply saying, I'm here with you disciples. He is invoking the name of the most high God and saying, I am he as well. He is explaining the eternity of his existence. So when Jesus says where I am, he's describing that he exists in eternity. And he says that there you may be also. So Jesus is going to prepare a place, right? An opportunity. But he is going to prepare a reality where we may exist with God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit. when we make this about houses and all the great ornaments that we might have in heaven, we completely miss the heart of God. We reduce God to our vanity, our materialism, our wants, and our desires. We remain in our physical mind. We remain in our worldly problems because the things of God truly has nothing for us. Jesus is explaining the opportunity he is preparing for us to be where he is and to exist with him. Oh our friend Thomas, verse 5. Thomas says to Jesus, Lord, we do not know where you are going and how can we know the way? Understandably so, Thomas is a little bit overwhelmed by this great language that Jesus is using. He's a little overwhelmed, he's a little confused, he's still thinking physically that he doesn't know the way Jesus is going according to a map and the directions to get there. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus, in in his great love for Thomas, responds to this skittish young boy who's confused about where Jesus is going with perhaps the most intense, comprehensive explanation of his ministry, fulfilling the three most significant things that mankind is in search of. Direction and reality and existence. And we could certainly spend many messages unpacking all three of these words and what they mean to the disciples. But for today, let's focus on this. Jesus repeats himself as I am. He connects himself to Yahweh. He says that he is God the Son, just as Yahweh is God the Father. Jesus says that he's the way, so he is the road, he is the path to the Father. Jesus says that he's the truth, he is the fact, he is reality to the Father. Jesus says that he is the life, the eternal existence forever to the Father. All of these explanations would mean that God's plan would soon be fulfilled through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Jesus is not responding to the disciples to talk about real estate in heaven. He is explaining what the fulfillment of Passover means, what he came to accomplish in his ministry and now in his resurrection. So with all these understandings in mind, it seems pretty silly to think that Jesus would aim to comfort these disciples who are on the brink with fear about Judas' betrayal, Peter's denial, and his departure talking about their future homes and heaven. Yet this is the propaganda that the church is filled with, thinking about the things that will soon perish. Perish. Jesus is not talking about how to get to heaven. He's talking about how to get to the Father. We are a culture that is focused on heaven. We are a culture that refuses the Father. We have got to refuse these man-made ideas of what awaits us at these pearly gates and enter into relationship with what the Father offers us now. The things he's preparing for us, the opportunities he's offering are not according to our physical eyes and the things, the goals of this world, but that we may join him where he is and in what he's doing. The Lord has been getting my attention this week. How easy it is to focus on physical answers to spiritual situations. Like dreaming of mansions in heaven, we can assume ourselves spiritually minded, though we are physically minded and worldly focused. We assume that thinking about a mansion in heaven seems spiritual, right? That seems right. The understanding, this understanding has given me more excitement about eternity in heaven than I've ever dreamed of. Because the same John who wrote this gospel is the one whom Jesus gave his revelation to. John tells us about gates laden with pearls and streets of gold. But John's concern is not material wealth we will have in eternity, but the spiritual fullness that we will behold in the presence of God and His Son and the Spirit. God's heart and His plan has remained the same since the beginning when He created the Garden of Eden. That He would provide a way where we may exist where He is. My friends, I pray that we would heed Jesus' commands that our hearts would not be troubled by the things of this earth, but that we would trust in God and trust in Jesus also. Amen.
2: I've carried a bird.